The scripture lesson today is taken from Joshua, chapter 24, verses 14 through 24. And my Bible says, choose for yourselves this day. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, No, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, We will serve the Lord our God and obey him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You can remain seated. We're going to sing just the first verse of Just As I Am, I believe is the song. So after church today, we are taking a road trip to the motherland, to Canada, to see Melissa's family and uh Show, actually show the kids her birthplace, which they had they have never been to, and spend some time with her sister and some other relatives. And so we're looking forward to the the destination. We're not looking forward to the journey. Uh, if you want to see a comic show, then come over to our house about 1:30 as we pile into that pilot with all eight of us and some baggage and all that good stuff. Uh, one of the things that our kids do as we uh, load in all together into the car, uh, they fight over where they're going to sit. So before we ever get out of the driveway, they'll be fighting. That's what we had to look forward to. Uh, for some reason, they all want the, the middle seat, the very middle of the, of the car. They call, it, they call it sitting up front. So they're already arguing this morning about who's sitting up front. So um, I have to solve that. So I, I sat them down, the, the oldest kids, and I said, we're going we're gonna to award the middle seat 
based on this multiple part uh, question. And the question is, um, who is most obedient? Who um, never talks back to mom? Who always does everything mom says? And they all shout out at the same time, Okay, Dad, you can sit in the middle seat. <laughs> Today we talk about uh, free will. And some obedience and behavior uh, comes into play there. And, and so hopefully this helps set the framework for us as we talk about uh, this very important matter uh, in faith matters. So far, we've talked about the sufficiency of scriptures, everything in the Bible, uh, everything we need about to know about salvation is in the scripture. Uh, that was week one. Last week, we talked about original sin um, and how, uh, how we're affected uh, by that. Each and every one of us, we can't escape. And then this week is uh, free will. And so um, it, this is going to be a week uh, that separates us out from uh, some of our, our friends that might go to other churches today. Um, we're going to be in line with, I'll start with who we have this in common with. We're in common with um, the Catholic Church. We're in common with the Lutheran Church. We're in com common with the Episcopal Church, of course, on all of these. Um, but we're in direct, direct, I don't know what the right word is. Conflict with? But it's not really a conflict. But direct issue with the Presbyterians, uh, with the Reformed tradition as a whole, uh, the UCC, etc. Um, because they would uh, take issue with this um, because of John Calvin's work on predestination. And so that's where this word comes into play. Predestination uh, versus what we believe in terms of, of free will. Now, always remembering that all of these concepts, all of these ways of talking about God and our salvation and our responsibility or our response, our response um, varies across time and place and, and based on you know, your interpretation of even what your church teaches. Um, and so we go into any number of churches across the world or country. Um, you know, they might say it one way or another that... And we might be a little closer than we thought, or a little further away than we thought, and so on and so forth. And then number two, always remember, you know, when we're we're talking about other traditions, um, I'm not an expert in being Presbyterian, for example, um, but I, but I do know um, enough, I think, for our purposes today. And then lastly, um, and this being the case for today's free will, uh, it doesn't mean. They're bad people, or we won't see them in heaven, anything like that. We just think differently about our, you know, the way this plays out in the scriptures. We interpret it differently, and that's okay, um, and, and that's fine. But basically, uh, this is uh, a topic, free will, where Wesley was um, extremely passionate about. And he would go after Calvin and, and the Reformed tradition folks um, directly in his writing and in his notes. Uh, he had a direct war with uh, his great friend, uh, George um, Whitefield, and and so that was a, a big deal, and he would mention him by name often. He would quote back their um, their Westminster Confession. He would use it against them, and so he wrote lots and lots and lots about 
free will uh, and especially uh, versus predestination. And so um, before we go any further with that, let me just stop and make sure uh, we're on the same page, uh, just in a, a general thing, and then I'll get some specific scriptures uh, for you. Uh, but basically, um, what we're talking about is, and we'll start from the common space. The common space was last week, original sin. Original sin affects us all. And so in, in the Reformed tradition, they'll talk about total depravity of the human race. Um, and so, have you ever heard, just say, shout amen so I get a sense. Have you ever heard of the, uh, of the tool they call tulip? Have you ever heard of tulip? Yes. So one or two. Okay. Well, we won't go down that road then. Only one of you. Uh, but the T for tulip stands for total depravity. And so Reformed or Presbyterian John Calvin, they would talk about total depravity. Well, we agree with them. We talked about that last week. And so that's the starting point is, and we have it in common, is that all of us are infected with sin. And, and we would say actual sin, our actual sin. But all of us are sinful. And so we agree with the reform movement with that, and that's a good starting point. And so we have to do something about that. And so what do we do about it? Or what is done for us is a better way to do it. And so that brings us to today. And so this concept of, have you heard the, have you heard the term predestination? Shout amen. amen. All right, good. All right, so predestination would be simply that before... There was ever anyone before time, God had predetermined uh, that Kevin was in and Ian was out. Alright? So Kevin was on the winning team, Ian's on the losing team. Kevin's going to heaven, Ian's going to hell. In the story. Alright? Regardless, regardless of what they do, so how they behave, regardless of whether they confess Jesus, whatever, now they would. Take a little bit of issue with that. But that's the real strict definition. Predestination is just the predetermined before you're born whether you're going to be in or out. That's predestination. Okay? And so, and God does the determining. Doesn't matter who Kevin's parents are, doesn't matter how awesome Ian is, none of that matters. It's predetermined. That's predestination. Alright? Now, the way that Calvin got to that is uh, the way that all the reformers get started. John Calvin, uh, just by the way, was in the early 1500s he was born. So we're talking about that time frame. But he got to it by just looking around and saying, Hey, I'm preaching the same gospel to Ian as I am to Kevin. It makes no sense that Kevin responds in a positive way and Ian doesn't. Alright, and so that's where he gets that from. And so he starts searching the scriptures and it looks and he finds some scriptures that say, hey, well, wait a minute, maybe it was just predetermined for Kevin to be responsive to it and Ian not to be responsive to it. And so he gets to it from that honest place. And so uh, that's where we're coming from. Well, Wesley, following in the tradition of Augustine and, and Arminian, we mentioned the Arminians earlier in this series, um, said that well, not so much. Um, you know, what would it say about God if God predetermined before time that Jacob was in and Julia was out? I mean, is that a loving God? I mean, is that a God we would want to follow? I mean, we would have to at least pause and take questions on that and say, wait a minute. 
So there's nothing Jacob can do. He's out. And, and so when you bring it down in age, I mean, we don't mind condemning Ian. Uh, but when we start talking about Jacob, I mean, that's just not fair. Um, we can see it at Ian, but Jacob, he's so holy and sweet and, and all that. If you're at least halfway with me so far, shout amen. amen. All right, that's good. That's good. All right, so uh, with that, Wesley um, not just simply disagrees, but he starts to lay out some scripture, and not just verses, uh, but entire passages. And so if you're taking notes mentally or with your pen or your smart device, you might want to jot a few of these down um, just for starting points because I want you to look up the whole passage uh, when you get home because I'm just going to give you a verse or two. The first one is in in the beginning of the Bible when we have the first sin, uh, God reacting to the sin gives us some clues here that uh, the sin was not predetermined. In Genesis 3, and I'm just going to read 17, but you need to read the whole story. God says, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree. And he goes on to explain what's going to happen, the bad things that are going to happen. Um, but, but when you take that verse, it's, it's, so the very first mistake, Adam had a choice. He had free will. He was born with liberty to choose to do what God, it wasn't predetermined by God that he was going to mess up, in other words. God says, it's because you listen to your wife, Ian, <laughs> and chose not to listen to God, that you're in this place. All right, we're going to move on. So look that one up for homework. The next one is, so it's not, and so that was in the uh, beginning. Now we move on to Deuteronomy, just a few, a few. God says, and, he's, and Deuteronomy is the book that we're getting the law, and we're talking a lot about ordinances and laws and stuff. And here's God says, if, if, so here's the if, like there's a choice. If you heed these ordinances by diligently observing them, the Lord your God will maintain with the covenant loyalty that he swore to your ancestors. That's Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 9 through 12. And so again, we get this hint, this clue, um, that there's going to be a choice even for the chosen family, the Israelites. Still, as a group and as individuals, they're going to have a choice. You follow, God's going to keep his part of the covenant. You ignore, and God's going to ignore his part of the covenant. So you have this free will, this liberty to choose. It's not predestined. And then I'm going to give you just a New Testament text, and there's lots of New Testament. Matthew 7, 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. So it's that great parable about, you know, your foundation that you're building. Uh, But within that story, God says, basically you have a choice. If you hear me, this is what's going to happen. If you don't hear me or you hear me and don't respond in the proper way, then you're like the foolish man that built his house on the sand. So again, so even when we get into the New Testament, and then the whole reason that we're gathered here as Christians, as the family of God, remember the whole family of Israel rejects, or not the whole family, but we have this rejection of Christ in the beginning of the New Testament story. And so God tells Paul, well, since 
My people have rejected me. Go and preach it to the Gentiles. And so a whole group of people, us, we weren't predestined. And, and so we had this response or this opportunity to respond to God and be grafted into the family based on our response to Jesus. And so Wesley would use uh, scriptures like that. And then some other, uh, some other scriptures would be you know, some of my favorite in the Gospel of John in the beginning. Um, I'm being like a TV preacher, just giving you a bunch of verses. And then I'm going to ask for your 1999s. <laughs> Glad you're paying attention. In the beginning of the Gospel of John, John chapter 1, it says that um, Jesus was the light for the whole world. So not just a predestined, predetermined group of people, but the whole world. And then the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of what? All nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You didn't know I could memorize verses, did you? Like Melissa. She's not the only smart one. Okay? All right? Yeah, all nations. So we have this biblical narrative. We have these biblical examples. Um, we were we were formed as as individual people to, to be able to exercise liberty and freedom, and it's a vital part in this in this case. Um, so why does it matter? Um, and, and Wesley really kept coming back to two major issues of, of why it really mattered and why he spent so much time with this. Uh, and the first is that um, if you think of it as predestination, what he felt the Calvinists did, the people that followed Calvin, what he felt that they did when they locked into this is issue of predestination is that they were treating God, they were treating God as if God was this um, sovereign king who was able to treat subjects and divide subjects, this you know, so that monarchical concept of, of classes. And so this king could create classes, classes of people that are in and classes of people that were out. And so to think of, of God as a ruler, as a ruling monarch um, that had the life of his subjects in his hands. And he says, I just, and Wesley would say, basically, I just don't see that about God in the scriptures. I don't see enough evidence of that of God in the scriptures. And I don't want to think about God that way. Uh, I want to think about God as a loving parent. Now, not a loving, you know, a loving parent doesn't let their kids get away with everything, so let's not go down that road. A loving parent encourages, corrects, and disciplines all at the same time, right? All right, so that's what Wesley, Wesley felt. A loving parent would uh, not predetermine who gets the middle seat? It'd be based on behavior. And that led to the second part. The second part of Wesley's um, concern and why it mattered to him was that if you went down the road of predestination, predetermined, your faith was predetermined, or your inness or outness was predetermined, then there was no motivation. No motivation. For personal holiness. There was no motivation. Not just to follow the Ten Commandments. But to follow the Sermon on the Mount. There's no motivation. Uh, to pay any attention to the list of sins. That Paul writes out. There's no motivation into trying to live out God's will. There's no motivation. In serving 
and loving your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. There's no motivation for giving alms to the poor or visiting the sick. There's no motivation in evangelizing or sharing your faith. There's no motivation to go out to all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. There's no reason to even baptize. Amen? And so he had a big, big issue with that. Um, and, and so a big concern. And, and we're going to see that in the coming weeks when we start to talk about personal holiness and sanctification and so on and so forth. Uh, but if salvation, this is directly from Wesley, if salvation is unconditionally established by eternal decree, why would any of us concern ourselves with obedience and discipleship? And so that's why it matters. It matters. Free will matters. Because it matters in what we think about God, and it matters in our response. And so to sum it up, and then I'm going to give you a nice little list of anti-tulip, but you don't know what tulip is, so it's not going to make any sense to you. Um, but you can look that up on the internet. But to sum it up then, um, at we believe, um, and I'll read the statement from our article of religion, uh, but it's really an example of how the old English is affected here. It's a really complicated statement for really a simple belief. But our official article, which is number eight, is the of free will, is the condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and works of, to faith and calling upon God. Wherefore, we have no power to do good works, pleasant and acceptable to God, without the grace of God by Christ preventing us that we may have a good will and working with us when we have that good will. That's a good party quote, right? Um, anyway, and, and where this gets messed up for us is the word preventing. It, he's not using it the way that we talk about preventing, like to not do something. Preventing for Wesley, and I guess it's an English thing, um, and I'm not certainly not an expert on English, of American or British variety, but preventing, um, meaning convenient grace, grace coming before. And so that's why this statement really we struggle with. Um, so that's the official statement. Now let me just sum it up, basically. Um, we have a choice to say yes to Jesus or no to Jesus. And that is not predetermined before we are born. Um, some of the scripture that we read, it's going to look like, if you take it, it was one verse out of context. So it'll look like there might be something to predestination or predetermined. But what Wesley, how he countered that was that God was outside of time and God had, was all-knowing. And so God had foreknowledge on whether uh, Kevin was going to accept Christ. God has foreknowledge because he knows everything and he's outside of time and can see uh, whether Ian's going to eventually accept Christ or not. Um, uh, but it's not predetermined. It is not predetermined. We have individual liberty and freedom to say yes to Jesus or no to, no to Jesus and it's up to us. And so that's what the gift that free will gives us. If we were created to say yes to the tree of the apple or the fruit on the tree, or we can say no. We can listen to our wife, or we can listen to God. 
And that's the way we were created from the beginning, and that's the way we're created now. All right, here's how we're going to conclude. Again, if you're taking notes, you might want to mark a couple of these down. I'm going to read these to you, basically. Um, total depravity is affirmed by Wesley. So we agree, we're all sinful. Number two, the atonement is the atonement, which is the word atonement means being made right with God, being made one with God, at one with God, atonement, is universal in scope, which means not that everybody is saved just because that would be the same as predestination, just everybody's in, nobody's out. But what he means by that is Christ's death was sufficient to atone for the sins of the whole world, not only an elect few. Again, as Calvin would say, just, just the elect, the elect. Um, and so no, Jesus died for all, is what Wesley's saying here. Number three, provenient grace is universally available to all, restoring a measure of freedom so that the human being can respond to God's grace. So everybody has sin in them, and everybody actually sins, but at the same time, everybody, by the power of God, by God's grace, has the ability to say yes to the forgiving nature of God as well. So we get both sinfulness, but at the same time, we have the ability uh, to repent and, and say yes to Jesus. Number five, or four. Four, this is an important part, too, that separates us against the reform movement. Grace is resistible and can be rejected. To our own destruction. God is actively drawing all people to himself, but his grace is not coercive. All right, this is an important part. I know we all got things to do, but we got to stop here for a minute. I know Kevin's hungry. I've been talking about him all morning. He's all pumped about going to heaven, but he's hungry first. <laughs> this is a big, big kicker here. In the Calvinist reform movement, they say and believe that grace is irresistible. That if indeed Jacob is in, and he has been, um, he's on the good guy's team, there's absolutely nothing he can do to not receive it or reject it. So he's just in. It is The grace of God is irresistible. So, so, so they would use language like, um, you can't run from God. Like Jacob said, Jacob ran from God his all, all his life, but, but he couldn't outrun God. Yes, he can outrun God. Uh, God's going to be speaking to him his whole life. <coughs> but eventually he's got to stop to listen and hear and say yes, and it's up to him. All right? It is resistible. It can also be given back. All right? So we're not once saved, always saved. Have you heard that one? Say amen. Once saved, always saved is not Wesleyan. It is very comforting to believe that about ourselves and about our loved ones. But it's not true based on what the way we teach and believe and read the scriptures. You can say no or you can give it back. It's a gift. God's grace is a gift. But just like you can return a gift to the store that you get for Christmas that you don't want or you got two of them, you can return the gift back to God. So you're not once saved, always saved. That's a big, big difference from between being Wesleyan and being in the 
the Reformed movement. Predestination is therefore based on God's foreknowledge, not his will. That is, God corporately predestines all those who respond in faith to salvation, and by foreknowledge he knows who will respond. But his foreknowledge, God's foreknowledge, does not cause their response. Our response is by our free will. And then finally, number six, assurance of salvation is given by the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about this another week, who witnesses directly to our adoption as children of God through Christ and is also confirmed indirectly by the fruit of the Spirit. And so what Wesley says there is, um, you want to know whether you're on the good team or the bad team? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to help you with that assurance, that personal assurance, and then you should also have some fruit from it um, that testifies that, yes, indeed, you truly have accepted salvation from Christ. I'm going to end there and pause there, but since we went all over the place, does anybody have a question or a comment about free will versus predestination? Or once saved, all be saved. That must be a good teacher. Or you're just really hungry. Amen. Amen. Next week we talk about um, justification, which is being made right with God through Christ. And so again, kind of a continuation of where we were today. And so this topic of original sin last week and free will this week uh, will continue to come up again as we go through the series. Let us turn to page 7 in our hymnals and we'll recite the